This content is intended for adult cigar smokers age 21 and older. All right, Nick, good show. <laughs> okay. Uh, Greg's leaving to go take advantage of our brand new coupon code. Type in Long Ash all day Friday and Saturday, and you will receive 20% off your entire purchase. Some exclusions apply, but other than that, 20% off your entire purchase all day Friday and Saturday when you use the coupon code Long Ash. Nick, did you know I just got 20% off? Yes. All right, here we are, Nick Labretti, JRCigars.com. With me, as always, my partner in crime, Greg Waters. Uh, Long Ash Podcast episode, God, I don't even remember the, num- the number. Six, seven, or eight. Yeah, it's going to be one of those three. It's a toss-up right now between six, seven, or eight. Um, well, we don't know that yet, Secret Chris. Chris. Can't you keep a secret? <laughs> Ever? Like, oh. when we want you to be involved in the conversation, we'll call you on. We'll say, uh, what's that Who horror thought? movie where you what? go to the mirror and you... Oh, uh, 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 Bloody Mary. There you go. Yeah. That's B- when you come on. Bloody Secret Chris. <laughs> That's where you say Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, Mary Bloody, Bloody Mary yeah. three and then, times. And then Secret Chris comes out. I just screwed out. myself. This <laughs> is trouble. No, you gotta look in a mirror, though. Ah, okay. <laughs> I'm in front of two other guys who I don't even know. <laughs> guys, very, very, very excited for this guest. He is a legend in the cigar industry. He's a master blender. He worked for us back in the, back in the day. Uh, originally, like without him, even though we never worked together, I wouldn't have my current job. He was one of the first. That's not true. It is. <laughs> he was one of the first to really get involved uh, in the in the cigar forums. He was one of the masterminds behind one of the biggest cigars ever, the Liga Bravada, with his work at Drew Estate. And now he has his own company, Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust, which every one of these cigars extremely highly rated, always in the top twenty-five. The legendary, the man, the myth, the Sasquatch, Steve Saka. Wow. <laughs> my mother doesn't even like me that much. <laughs> I memorized all that. I wrote everything down. Did, did you? <laughs> it was like Apollo Creed when he had all the nicknames. Oh my God. Okay, I got you. The master of disaster. Uh, Steve, thank you so much for being here, man. We know how you know, you're a super busy guy. You're doing events all over the place, getting ready for the trade show. Just thank you for spending some time. Ah, it's my pleasure. Us. I'm happy for me to talk to you, but I'm really happy for young Greg to, to get some... Young, older Greg. Well, I mean, you're older in mind and face only. Oh, but wow. in soul. It's brutal. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> but um so, Greg, you have any first let's well, talk about the cigar we're gonna we're gonna yes. enjoy today. Steve, tell us a little bit about today's today's choice, today's pick. Was I not supposed to light it already? No, no, you're oh, fine. You're, you're fine. good. All right. Well, this is uh Sin Compromiso. Um Sin Compromiso translates to no compromise, without compromise. Um it's our I would say it's our flagship brand. It's probably at the top end of uh the variety of products that we make. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a San Andreas Negro Capa, but it's slightly different than most. It has a has a strain that, I, it's not really a strain, it's a hybridized seed, but it's more about the method of how we harvest it. It's called Cultivo Tanto, mm-hmm. where we only grow the top half of the plant. We don't just use the top half of the plant. We actually take all of the small leaves as they begin to bud on the stalk and we tear them off and we drop them on the ground and we only grow the top 50% And that of the just kind of saves like more the nutrients is now going just straight to the top? Right, is that's it? the logic of it. I, I actually got the idea from an article I had read about these melons in Japan. There's this brand of melon called Royal Crown Musk Melons. Mm-hmm. And these melons cost anywhere from $120 to $250 a piece. Jesus. And what they do is it's a musk melon plant but what they do is the, the vine will typically support 18 to 20 odd melons and they will basically deflower all but two. 
mm-hmm. and then they'll let those two melons begin, and then they'll choose which melon they like the best, and they'll only grow one melon on the entire vine. And then they'll do this whole really crazy Japanese yeah. thing where they sing to it, and they rub to it, and they <laughs> chant. That's a very and, Japanese right? way to grow up. Like, only the best melon right. can survive. <laughs> so the idea is being that this one melon gets all the nutrition from a, a vine that would normally support up to 20 melons. And so I always wanted to play around with that and tobacco. And uh, I had a farmer in San Andreas that was crazy enough to do it on my behalf. Uh, now, first off, it isn't charitable. He charges me for it. <laughs> um, so when you only cultivate the top half of the plant, ultimately you end up getting only about 35% of the weight. Right. So I have to pay for 100% of the tobacco to only get 35% of the tobacco. Ah, okay. And then I actually had to pay them a little more because when you start pulling leaves prematurely off from any plant, it'll then start to cause offshoots. We call them suckers in our Mm -hmm. industry. So then there's more uh, tending of the plant. So it actually ends up costing me closer to like 108% is what it ends up costing me for the, the crop. And I don't know, I just find the tobacco is a little sweeter, a little richer. Um, you know, you always wonder if you're buying into your own nonsense. <laughs> so, you know, once we had the Cultivo Tanto crop, I also buy regular San Andreas from the same farm, same seed. Mm-hmm. So I had the factory prepare for me 50 with and 50 without on the same blend. And I could tell the difference 100% of the time. Okay. So once I was bought in, it then made me decide to move forward with the project. Right. Because um, we're going to do something just for the sake of a story. Like, all right, let me see if well, it actually is, I can just make the story up and not right. have to actually do the work and pay the money. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Because honestly, who's going, to ne- who's going to Mexico to check? You know right? there would be five guys on a forum that would do that. You yeah. know, there's five Reddit guys that would have, oh, i got to go down and check to see what no, Steve's see, doing. they would just claim they went. <laughs> see, that's the thing. You just say anything you want. The, the internet. Because everything yeah. on the internet is true, right? Exactly. Yeah, everything. Exactly. So, uh, and then, um, you know, and then underneath, it's, a, it's an Ecuador Habano binder. Um, it's, actually, it's actually not binder per se. It's actually the wrapper that doesn't make the grade for Sober Mesa from an aesthetic point of view, mm-hmm. but it has the tensile strength. And then it's a combination of Nicaraguan tobaccos. Um, I would describe it as it's full bodied, but it's also very smooth and very creamy. So it's got a really heavy kind of dark cocoa kind of taste to it. Um, It's got a lot of richness to it, but it has a real smoothness and creaminess to it that's very unusual for cigar with this amount of depth and flavor. And that's really what makes it stand out. And then it also has that inherent sweetness that you get out of the San Andres Negro, but just amped up a little bit. And it has another another odd small nuance to it that's... um, I describe it as chicory. Um, it's just a little bit of smokiness to it. And you'll actually get more of it on the cold draw than you will while smoking it. Well and, that, and that actually comes from how the tobacco is cured in the barns in Mexico. Um, tobacco in Mexico is grown late into the season, mm-hmm. so they always bump into the rainy season. So traditionally in Mexico, you always have to fire the barns. And I don't mean fire them in the way that you do uh, fire-cured tobacco right. or candela tobacco, but you always have to add a little bit of a heat element. And for the last, oh, I don't know, 30-odd years, most of that's done utilizing propane. Um, but recent, But back before that, they used to use a local indigenous wood that they would make a charcoal out of. Right. And that charcoal ends up giving just a slight touch of smokiness. So I wanted to return back to that traditional method of charcoal 
uh, bringing the humidity down in the barns. And that's where you get that little bit of a chicory note from of. And you'll really notice it before you light the cigar, if you just smell the wrapper, you'll, you'll really be able to detect it even more. But it definitely adds a slight flavor component, even though it may not be instantly identifiable or distinguishable, it still adds another layer of complexity to the cigar. My mind is blown, because everything that I've seen so far is completely opposite of what you did for the cigar, it seems like. Because like, you know, I saw, I've seen tobacco being fire cured with propane and things like that and had those cigars it's just and then what you did with the plant I'd, i'm blown away well you what you've seen is you know a lot of companies trying to you know sell like a good cigar but they need to do it as uh, what's the word i'm looking like not cheap as possible but you know efficiently as possible so all right if cheaper to do propane and quicker let's do that all right we can grow the whole plant Steve took his time with this. He's right. like, no, I'm actually going to take the time, even if it costs a little extra, to do this the yeah, way but, I'm envisioning but, it. Is, is but, that what you did? But, but it isn't like a charitable contribution. Yeah. I'm making people pay for this. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, I mean, and that's kind of the attitude with all of my cigars. I don't make anything inexpensive. I don't right. make anything with that. What I do is I make things to what they cost to make the way I want to make them, and then I add a fixed margin on top of it, yeah. and then the price is the price, and for a lot of consumers, it's going to be out of their price point. It's not going to work for them, but for those consumers that the price isn't as relevant, or for those consumers that can actually appreciate or tell the difference, they're okay with the fact that, oh, well, my cigars cost 2 to $4 more on average, right. because they feel as though they get a value of an additional 2 to 4 now, if, you know, if we're talking about the guy that's smoking on a on a deep discount, he needs cigars that are you know four dollars, six dollars a bundle kind of guys. They're not they're not my right. customers. I, I don't try to. There's so many manufacturers out there that make so many cigars in those price points right. that I don't even try to compete in any way with them. I just always make super top shelf. The price is the price. But the prices are fair. Yeah, they're not oh, crazy. They're not absolutely. ludicrous. But they're fair. But in the end, I leave it to the consumer to decide whether it's a good value for them or not a good value for them. That's something I always liked about you, Steve, is you're such a straight shooter. Even when you, I remember reading when you came out with the unicorn, and you're like, listen, I know this is ridiculous, but like, I still think it's good. You want to try it? Like, you didn't try to give the hard sell of like, yeah. this is, you know... Look, Unicorn's an amazing or, cigar, yeah. but I'd be lying if I didn't say you're better to take your $100 and buy six Sincompromisos. You know, six Sincompromisos, you're going to get far more long-term enjoyment or pleasure out mm -hmm. of it. But I always, you know, when I think of a unicorn, I always think of it like Kobe beef. Right. You know, once in your lifetime, spring, it's 40 bucks an ounce. Buy that six, eight-ounce counts of Kobe beef. Have right. the experience. But odds are you're probably not going to become a Kobe beef eater every time you go to the steakhouse, yeah. you're going to end up ordering the ribeye, you know, because it's just a really good, you know, and I, enjoyable yeah. meal for your right. money. Ribeyes are like, I, that's what I get. Like, Smith yeah. & Walensky, it's hard to beat their ribeye, and it's no, it's American-grown, like, Texas cattle. It's nothing crazy. I mean, it's expensive, but it's not some super elusive thing. But I, I get what you're saying. First off, right off the bat with this, I do definitely smell a kind of, or a, like, smoky chicory like kind of thing i will say this is probably the sweetest san andreas i've i've ever tasted yeah. um usually i find a big difference between them and like you know your typical connecticut broadleaf is the broadleaf is usually a little bit sweeter oh typically absolutely yeah. um but this this is i'm enjoying this so much because i'm a huge broadleaf guy and this is giving me broadleaf kind of memories and also i want to say to all the youtube fans out there he has validated me and that it is called mexican san andreas 
And if I have one more, you need to let you, you need to San Andreas. People yell at me all the time. Let it go. Spelled San Andreas. I'm like, I don't yeah. think that's he needs, right. He needs man. to let it go. It's, no. it's been a two month thing. San Andreas Negro. Exactly. Yeah, he, he's got to let it go. He's it's it's hurting him. <laughs> San Andreas. This the whole because now there's videos out in the Andreas is an Italian yeah. dude, right? Yeah. Yeah. I have an uncle Andreas. Do you? No. I didn't think so. <laughs> I, got, I got four Uncle Tonys and a Paul. Yeah, shocker. <laughs> <laughs> let me say this. I'm not the guy for uh, Spanish pronunciations either, so I mean, take I, it on your own. <laughs> I, but every single one of your cigars is a Spanish yeah, you know, term. The thing is, you know, people always ask me about that, and it, it has to do with, look, I make cigars for me. Right. I always have. And I make brands that I like and I identify with. And I've always kind of more identified with things that come from that Spanish culture. That's mm -hmm. how I connected with cigars in the first place. Um, I also identify with things that are somewhat understated. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, you were talking about like the unicorn. Right. The unicorn is not very elaborately packaged. No. You know, all, all of my stuff is, it's done nicely, but it's also done in a very reserved kind of way. Tastefully. It's done tastefully. It's just what I happen to right. like. Not saying that others aren't as nice or if even better, but it, it is kind of to my own personal aesthetics. Right. And for me, you know, I tend to, you know, mi querida, sobre mesa, todos los días. I always tend to fall into that. Uh, what, those are the names that just, I find right. them romantic. Uh, speaking it's kind of, of like, it's kind of like wine. Like yeah. I feel like you got the lower end, not cheaper-esque wines, and you got the middle and the higher end. You're not at that, <laughs> excuse me, with the, uh, your lines, it's not Be like careful. The, complete, what are you about to say? the complete high end price, <laughs> but like, you know, you're at that middle, middle, a little expensive, go out, get that kind of bottle of wine. Yeah, kind but of I gotta thing. tell you, I, I don't know that there's a cigar that's in the market that's $30 that's better than a Sin Compromiso or a Muestra de Saka. It's, it's a weird concept. I see what you're saying. It's kind of like, I'll smoke a $35, say Davidoff, and I'll love it. I'm like, oh, is it worth $35? Yeah. But you know what? I would have enjoyed um, Wisher to Saka the exact same amount. Right. I mean, I think it would be saying, and don't, you know, I don't want people to get mad at me if prices go up, but like, I think it's more saying like you could increase your prices if you wanted to. Well, we announced a price increase yesterday. I, I saw that on half of it. Nothing dramatic. It wasn't, yeah. wasn't crazy. Um, what yeah. I want to. Just a touch on this price increase yeah. thing. I think one of the things that a lot of people fail to understand is that at the manufacturing end, we really hate doing price increases. I can imagine, yeah. Because, look, everything in a factory environment is always about efficiency and volume. So ultimately, you're always worried that when you increase the price of something, you're gonna end up selling less of it. Mm -hmm. And when you sell less of something, it then makes the cost of everything you make go up. So it actually can work against you. So on the manufacturing, what we would love to have happen is that from the, the point that we develop something, we start manufacturing it forever for the prices to remain the same. The problem is the costs never do. Right. So what happens is over time, your margin is just constantly getting chipped into, chipped into, chipped into, and then you're basically faced with, you only can do one of two things. You either have to raise the price to get back to what the desired margin that's necessary mm -hmm. to make the brand consistently, or you have to basically start saying, okay, how can I make this product more economic? 
economically in order to maintain this price point. But you can't have the same quality and consistency for the same price indefinitely. I mean, so like in 2005 in Nicaragua, I was paying on average somewhere between 275 to $3.45 for a pound of Jalapa grown C98. I'm now pretty much over $8 a pound, you know, just roughly a decade later, you know. So as those prices escalate, somewhere it has to be paid for. And, and then of course, for the consumer, because they're at the end of the value chain, right. the price increase always seems much greater than what it really right. was at the bottom end of the right. chain right. where I am. Because you know every, I mean? everyone, you know, you increase, you know, the manuf- the, the factory or the farm right. increases the factory, their prices. The farm so has to, an increase, the factory has an increase, increase. the importer, right. brand owner has an increase, the retailer, the retailer then right. ends up having an increase, right. and those increases get multiplied or down the line. But as, as a general rule of thumb, you know, it, it also has something to do with kind of one of the ways that I do the pricing strategy. As a general rule, I have a fixed gross margin on everything. Mm-hmm. So, for example, Mike Rita is not a lower quality cigar than Sin Compromiso. It just costs a different amount of money right. to make. But the actual profit margin on every product is near identical. Right. And the reason why I do that is so that I don't actually have a vested interest in which one becomes the winner or the loser. Because in all of my previous gigs, we would have endless conversations about, I wish we sold more of X than Y, because mm-hmm. we make more money more on X. X. Uh, by making it all the same, basically, it means that I love all my children equally, so I don't really ultimately care which becomes the one that consumers ultimately end up saying, okay, this is the right. one. Because from a sheer business point of view, they're all equal from my perspective. You have a, you almost, I want to say, like a very zen, or like Sun Tzu strategy. Like everything from your tobacco processing to your pricing, it's just unlike anything you really see in the industry. Like just saying that, like, oh, no, I, I want the same margin across all my lines so that they're all treated equally. When do you see that? We're always in meetings with people. We're like, oh, we want to make sure we're selling more of this because we make more money on but it. But the problem is you have no control over it because right. you don't know what consumers are going to glom onto. Right. You know, you really have no idea... You know, you know, when I was at Drew, Chateau Real might have been the big hit, but it turned out Liga Pravada was the big hit. We talked about you that with I mean? Dave. You, just, today, you don't yeah. know which is going to be the one. You know, so trying to trying to trying to play that game, I find more times than not, I end up losing. Hmm. So it's easier to just not play it. And then you you end up winning by not playing it, technically. Hopefully, or, or you at least get a draw. Sure, <laughs> you're really into that, so I can tell. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm, I'm like. I'm I will say this. because I'm of the soft this. press. This is the only line that I soft press. This one will not hold the ash. You're not going to get those crazy three inch right, Instagram right. ashes. Like that one's probably going to fall. Right. Because when you soft press, when you press a cigar, you have to intentionally slightly underfill it yeah. to accommodate the trunk press. So you can't get it quite as densely packed and is tight in a soft press cigar. And that's why you find a lot of, I mean, there's certain brands of like press cigars, Quadrados, mm-hmm. where they like get super spongy and super soft, you know, and that's because you always are combating that at what, the production exactly. table. What was your thought process on doing the soft press on this? Like why, why do it? Honestly, the reason I did it is just I wanted to do something different. I don't have any soft press cigars. I don't have any press cigars. This is the first one I've done that has been pressed. I've typically been opposed to it, Mm-hmm. Even though there's many very popular cigars that are pressed, because 
two things. The first one is 100% of the consumers like round cigars, mm -hmm. but not 100% of the consumers like pressed cigars. Right. So you're already kind of limiting your market. The other thing too is when you press the cigar, it's a little bit unnatural in the hand when you're doing the bunching because you cannot put as much tobacco in it. So I ended up doing a soft press, which is kind of a compromise, um, but there's some downsides to doing the soft press. Uh, doing the soft press allows me to make the bunching action and the feel in the hand much closer to what a normal cigar would be. Mm -hmm. But the downside is, is it doesn't hold the press as well. So when the cigars are in the cool room, and then depending on the ambient humidity when we package the cigars, they slightly vary a little bit in size, which can then make the packaging of them very challenging because every cigar is just slightly a little bit different because it springs out a little further, mm. it holds its form a little better. And it's one of the things that, you know, even here we are a year into it, I'm struggling where I'm trying to get the packages to hold the cigars perfect. So, you know, over this first year, we've had a few that have, uh, you know, had some splits or some chips, but just for anyone that buys them, they need to know that they're 100% warranted. If you get damaged cigars, mm. we, we instantly replace them. And w I think our next iteration of the packaging is going to help eliminate probably almost all of it. But the only I, other solution I, is to cellophane everything. I gotta say, I, I typically box presses, I mean, you have your, you know, your famous ones, you have your Padrones, a lot mm. of the higher end Tatawahes. Generally, if I had to choose between the same blends in a box press or in a, you know, a Parejo, I, I usually go with the Parejo. I do really like this because, like you said, it's a, it's a mix of both worlds. You have your kind of box shape in there, but it's not too, I don't like. It's not it's severe. Yeah, I don't, it's, not, yeah. it's not severe at all. Yeah, because, I mean, cigars aren't really box pressed. Right, exactly. They're really trunk pressed. So that severe press is what we call cuadrado, mm -hmm. which is just a word for square. Right. And so, you know, because traditionally box press cigars, where they originated, I mean, the reason why they kind of became a fad was uh, they kind of mimicked the way Cuban cigars used to be. Mm -hmm. But the way those box presses were achieved was because they would pack the cigars very wet coming off the factory floor in boxes that were slightly undersized, and they would end up sealing the box with the, with the nails mm -hmm. and in order to form fit it, and then the cigars would become actually physically pressed in the box. And the reason why they did that was because the cigars had to be shipped by slow freight ocean. Right. So these cigars would be on the water for up to eight, 12 weeks to reach Europe. And they had to stay And fresh. then they would have to stay, they would have to stay intact. Right. So by making them slightly bigger than the box, they formed a very tight fit in the box, which then limited the amount of damage that you had. Because you gotta remember, there was no cellophane, you know, in you know, 1895, you know, so. I've, I did not know that at all. I, I'm not the cellophane part, the rest of the story. Right. I did not know that that's, at all. That's why box press became kind of uh, the, the standard, was really to protect the cigars in transit via ocean. This guy. Fun fact of the day. <laughs> this guy right here, let me tell you. Steve, I want to get into, I want to talk about all your brands because, um, I mean, I'm a huge cigar nerd and Greg can attest and most of the stuff I've given him to try is from guys like you or guys like, uh, like Nick Melillo, mm -hmm. guys who are really into it, not someone that's out there to make a buck, like guys who really know about the process. Yeah, but I'm mean, out to make a buck too. Oh no, yeah, yeah. Like well, a, at the it, end of the day, you gotta, you know, I mean, you gotta, it's a business. Yeah, absolutely. So. But I want to get, before we get into all your lines, I want to get into a little bit of your history in the industry because you have- So a, boring. Oh, no, it's not. It's so awesome. I've told us so many times. I know, but not- Can we talk about a movie Secret or Chris doesn't know about it and he's dying to know, right, no, Secret Chris? No, he's not dying to know. <laughs> 
because you got weren't you this is you know what I've whatever through the grapevine mm-hmm. but you like had a business I was you just an Uber cigar geek and that's then, what then, I was. Yeah, but then you like sold off your business and then got into cigars. Wasn't there well, some? No, I was like, into cigars before, but when I okay. sold the business, it gave me the opportunity to be even more cigar crazy because now I had a lot of disposable income. Okay. And and you know, and I had started a an internet website with some friends of mine, and um, it wasn't really so much. It was not really a business. It was more a tax scheme, a tax shelter, <laughs> a way for us to dump our cigar related expenses into it. Yeah. And uh, and we did that for about three years. So I was kind of like the very first blogger, but it was right. like a good 15 years before the term blogger had ever been invented. Right. We were just doing it because we could. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then it got to the point where the accountant said to us, well, you guys have to actually start posting some sort of income. You can't just keep constantly taking deductions. <laughs> and so we made the decision to shut it down because we really had no interest in right. becoming... We had no we had no concept that anybody would actually give money to people like Half Wheel to do what they do. Right. I mean, it was just. I mean, we're talking about we're talking about back in 1996. I mean, there were like four people on the internet, and three of them were there for the porn. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, maybe the numbers haven't changed. Just it's now billions and three. No, but anyways, yeah. the percentages but, are the same. Yeah, the percentages are the same. Yeah. But irregardless, so it was one of those things, and then that just kind of led to while doing all of that stuff. I became friends with most of the manufacturers. Mm-hmm. I had visited almost all the factories, and uh, that led to Lou Rothman, who at the time owned JR Cigar, approaching me about potentially writing a book about cigars and tobacco, because mm-hmm. I was just super into it. And so much of what's been written is incorrect, and it just gets parroted over right. and over and over again. And um, and that ended up leading to me having a full-time gig at JR, which then after Altidus bought us, it then led to me being president of Drew Estate, which now led me to doing this. So, I don't know. It's But I really, it, at my heart, I'm still a cigar geek. I mean, that's where I started. I'm still there, you know. But, but you're like, you're the god of the cigar geeks. Like, you're you're the uh, one cigar geeks, you know, bow down to. <laughs> I don't know about that. Well, like, because well, you're humble also, another sign of, you know, an well, entity. <laughs> yeah, but... I'm humble and I'm arrogant at the same time. Well, yeah. I you mean, what are so, we I mean, I, I mean, I know what I know. I know what right. I don't know. And as I get older, I realize how much less I actually do know. So it was, I, was, I was probably much more <laughs> of a, probably much bigger pain in the ass 10 years ago, 15 years ago than I am even today. What's fascinating to me, is, I mean, and this might just might be my youth and inexperience, is like, you know, the mid, mid to late 90s and you're... Lou want to talk, write this book. I want to do this thing on tobacco and cigars. And unlike me, who learned most of what I know from either just working in a shop or like online, you had to go like to fact. Like no one was going to factories really, unless you actually worked for a manufacturer. Right. Nowadays, it's kind of become like the fun thing. You know, there's oh, the people go all safari. the time. Yeah, yeah. Like, like my first time in Nicaragua was like 1993. Yeah, like before I mean, there were no white people. Anywhere. It wasn't even like. The seclude, like the small cool thing to do, like oh, only five people went this year, but it's really cool that they went. Like nobody was going yeah. on these trips, and, you know, and that was one of the reasons why I got so much access was because it's just really weird that you show up in Cofradia, Honduras, and yeah. you literally knock on the door. You're like, hey, can I come in and look around? They're like, 
what? I guess. Why? You know what I mean? <laughs> you, did, you really did that? Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's, and that's how I ended up meeting a lot of people. And uh, so, and then, of course, we had the whole cigar boom that exploded, and then everybody was into cigars. Then we had the cigar crash. Nobody was into cigars. And What were the cigars you were talking about? Like, what were the big ones in the, in the mid to late 90s when you were on these forums and starting? Um, what, were, what were, like, the top, you know, nowadays it's, like, you yeah, guys. No, I mean, a lot of it's the legacy brands that you guys are familiar with. I mean, it was, you know, Fuente, and it was Partagas, and Macanudo, and, I mean, Davidoff was, had a real strong presence at that point. Mm. I mean, so a lot of the the legacy brands, whereas, you know, like the Nick Perdomos of the world and the Rocky Patels, they were all kind of like the little tiny upstarts, yeah. you know, that were just trying to claw their way, you know, to get into the market. It was, it was pretty much the big guys, you know, mm-hmm. the Tiamos of the world, which, you know. They're not even really around anymore. I mean, they're around, but, but as yeah. a brand, not so much right. more as a grower. And they were huge. They were in every. I remember in every. Well, but here on the East Coast, yeah. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't go ten miles without seeing a Tiamo sign. Exactly. I mean, Tiamo was synonymous with cigars, particularly here in this East Coast stretch, mm-hmm. all the way from you know probably the Mid Atlantic up to Boston. Like I think almost every cigar store had that free Tiamo sign, sign. Yep. hanging outside them. it. Because you know, they used to do a program like Coca-Cola did where they would give you a sign with the name of your business on it, you know, in the bottom in black letters, but you would get a free lighted sign. So you had Tiamo signs everywhere. You've also, you know, just within the industry, you've worked for just about every variation you can work for. You worked for, obviously, a, a major manufacturer in Drew Estate, although I feel like you were kind of there when they transitioned to a major manufacturer. Right. Uh, you now have a small, I mean, I, I, I don't know if you hate this term or not, but boutique. Yeah, whatever. Boutique. You worked for a retailer when you worked for JR. Yeah, I've been very lucky. Yeah. I've been, I've, you know, we're in a business where it's very different skill sets at different levels. Right. Um, farmers are farmers. And pre-industry guys, the guys that work the tobacco after it comes off the farm is a different skill set. Mm. Factory operations is a totally different skill set. Um, you know, the branding, the marketing is a totally different skill set. The operating of a cigar business, how it works, you know, distribution wise and, and channels and sales is a different skill set. And I've been very lucky to have worked at almost all the various facets right. and have had enough exposure to everything that I know an awful lot of, I know an awful little about an awful lot of things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, and look, that, that helps to round it out. And of course, I'm always coming at it from, again, that just cigar geek core. I always think about what would I want? What would I like? You know, that's one of the things for me that's very critical is when I make something, you know, people always ask me, you know, you, you got to have something special or something secret, something Saka only. And the reality is I don't. I mean, what's in the boxes is exactly my right. secret stuff. That's what it is. The only thing that's secret or that's in my only is the stuff that I'm working on for the future. Right. But the goal is to eventually make it so that you can share it with others to be enjoyed. So, the, yeah, so there's, there's no like secret, you know, like sober mesa in a weird size that I tried out. I only made a hundred of them. They're just for yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, there's a few stranded little yeah. weird, odd things like that, but there, there isn't like there's the, oh, the special stuff that, you know, yeah. a lot of manufacturers and a lot of brand owners, they have a lot of brands and a lot of cigars, 
but they really don't smoke most of them. Right. And it's like, well, this is actually the one that I really think I like. You right. know what I mean? Whereas for me, I mean, pretty much everything is, I always ask myself, A, it has to be something I would be absolutely willing to smoke, and B, it has to be something that I would absolutely be willing to take my hard-earned dollars and actually pay retail for. Right. Because if I'm unwilling to pay retail for it, then how can I expect another consumer to pay retail for it? So that's always kind of a criteria for me when I'm trying to decide whether this is something that makes sense or doesn't make sense. And what's funny is even those few like kind of one-offs that came in a wrong size, like the Totos Las Dias, you're like, oh, well, package them up and sell them as like a limited whatever and tell people we got it wrong on this one and, th and they, it became incredibly popular. So you're not even keeping those for yourself. You're like, all right, might as well sell them. Yeah, I mean like we had like the, you're talking about the Thick Lonsdale and Totos Lonsdale in the Totos Las Dias. Um, the blend, they, they just slightly tweaked the filler recipe a little bit by mistake mm -hmm. and it was just a slight bit. You know, it's kind of weird because I call it Mass Forte but it's really kind of a bit of a lie because it's not actually stronger than the other Totos Las Dias. It's just more pepper forward right. than the other Totos Las Dias. So it's got a bit more upfront bite and spice than the other ones. So Is that due to the tweak blend or also how like the well, actual size? It's a combination size. of the size. Right. But it's also a combination of the tweaked blend. Okay. And you know, and then when I compared the two side by side, I, I liked the one that was slightly askew better and I'm like, okay, you know. That's what I'm, uh, one of the things that, uh, one of the early things when, when I was working with Greg on, you know, his cigar knowledge, uh, and something that he's totally now a proponent of is how much uh, size and shape can affect a Critical brand. Like, it's, it's it, it really is. I was always of the mindset, like, oh, if I like the cigar and a Robusto, I'll love it in a Toro. Oh, absolutely not. No, I mean. I thought the same similar, way. Similar ring gauges and different lengths I feel like are more similar, but it's, I feel like it's the ring Look, gauge. The general, the general rule of thumb is the longer the cigar, the smoother it'll start, the less bite that it'll start in the beginning, mm. but it'll typically become significantly stronger the longer you smoke it because mm. you have a higher accumulation of tars right. as you go down on the cigar. The other thing, though, that has a more dramatic impact, so like, for example, if you're smoking a 52 ring gauge, uh, double Corona that's seven inches long versus one that's five inches long, you're gonna get more oomph out of the five inch one quicker right. than you will out of the seven inch one. The seven inch one will start off a little bit smoother, a little bit more easy in the beginning as compared to the five inch, but by the end of the seven inch when you get down to the nub, typically the seven inch one will actually have more potency right. than the five inch one. So the so five inch one. So the length, the length impacts you that way. The bigger impact is what you're referring to and that's in the girth. Right. And it's almost universally, the narrower the ring gauge, the stronger any given blend will be. Um, I mean, and the reason for that, like you talk about things that are like constantly, you know, said incorrectly. I mean, you often hear people say, well, the reason why smaller ring gauge scars are stronger is because you're getting more of the wrapper. And because you're getting more of the wrapper, which has more flavor than anything else, that's ultimately what's making it stronger. I mean, I've heard that out of tons of people over the last 30 odd mm. years, including people in my industry, and it's just, it's completely wrong. It's nonsensical. Good, because that's what I've been saying, so please tell me the correct but way I, to say I it. Want you to, I don't want you to believe me. I want you to just think about this mm. logically. So if you have a Macanudo, Connecticut mm. Shade Cigar, mild cigar, with this logic, Connecticut Shade is a mild wrapper tobacco. Mm. So if I smoke the 52 versus the 42, why is the 42 stronger? 
Because if I'm getting more of the mild shade tobacco in the smaller right. ring gauge cigar, I'm getting more Connecticut shade, then the logic should be that, oh, that cigar should smoke milder because right. I'm getting more Connecticut shade proportionally. But it doesn't. It smokes stronger. It smokes spicier. The reason why a cigar smokes stronger and spicier in a narrow ring gauge has entirely to do with the combustion temperature. So when you're smoking your cigar, that's my natural pull. That's my draw, right? Mm -hmm. When I smoke a narrow ring gauge cigar, I don't do this. I don't take little tiny puffs. Right. Whatever my natural pull is, is my natural pull. So what that means is you're always taking the same relative volume of air through the barrel of the cigar, regardless of whether it's a 52 ring gauge or a 42 ring gauge. So, but you're dealing with a much smaller cross-sectional diameter. So you're basically pulling the same amount of air over a much smaller burning surface area. It's no different than you blowing on a little fire to get it started. Right. So it burns hotter. And it's the fact that it's burning hotter in the smaller ring gauge is what's actually amping up the octane level is why you're getting that. So oftentimes I tell consumers like, you know, if you smoke a Sober Mesa El Americano and you like the flavor, you like the taste, but you wish it had a little bit more oomph, well, you know, try one of the Corona Grandes, try right. one of the Cervante Finos in the narrow ring. It may deliver to you, or the short Churchill, it may deliver to you the octane level that you desire. Or if you try something and you find, wow, that's a little bit too much, but I still like the flavor, you know, go up a bit in size because going up a bit in size will also end up making that cigar smoother and milder because of that lower combustion temperature. Now, what I will say is, even though I, I have said, uh, I have talked about ring gauges, I focus more on how it affects flavor. Not, I don't say, like, oh, if it's thinner, it's going to be stronger. I, I'd say if it's thinner, it's going to be more flavorful generally. But it's still wrong. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, I was half right in, in that it changes. But see, this is, Thinner again, changes. you're not half right or half wrong because in the end, it's always your individual perception right. of things. And particularly when it comes to this whole concept of, like, strength, I find it to be the most difficult conversation to have with a consumer because everybody's idea as to what's strong and what's mild is so wildly different based on their own individual parameters. Some people find Tabasco to be really hot. Oh, Other gross. people find it to be just like, oh, it might as well be Kool-Aid. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. very relative to your own experience. So it's, it's very hard sometimes to say, oh, well, this is a really strong cigar because everybody's tolerance for strength is much different. Absolutely. Plus two, how people measure strength is wildly different. Some people base it on how much bite the cigar has. Some people base it on how the amount of nicotine actually physiologically impacts them when they smoke the cigar. Some equate it directly to how much flavor and richness does it have. If it's you know a fuller bodied cigar, mm -hmm. from a flavor perspective, they just instantly treat it as a stronger cigar. This cigar I would consider incredibly full-bodied, but I would say it's probably medium to full on the strength say, levels about strength, where yeah. I would put the strength level. But because of the creaminess, smoothness notice of it, it's good for the guy that smokes on the stronger end of the spectrum, but yet it's also accessible enough for the guy that ends up smoking on the milder end of the spectrum. Right. I mean, I'm not talking Romeo and Julieta, Reserva Real, or Monte right. Cristo White kind of mild, but I'm also not taught, it's, it's still, it's, you know, right. I think a guy that smokes a Diamond Crown or, or a Davidoff can still approach this cigar and get, it, and get enjoyment out of it. That was one of the first concepts I, I remember we had a, a morning meeting when I worked in the store and some of the Davidoff reps were there to teach us about their different blends and everything. And they said, listen, strong does not necessarily connotate flavor. You, you can have a mellow strength cigar that is still incredibly flavorful. Yeah. And that was 
I was younger at that time, but it really ingrained in me. Like, well, all right, so just, we don't need to go for the strong. Just a simple thing. chocolate analogy. You got Hershey's chocolate bars, and you got Godiva chocolate. Is one really stronger than the other? But yet, the way right. the Godiva hits your palate, it's much lusher, it's more fat, right. more grasso. It has a much greater richness. But I wouldn't say that Godiva chocolate, milk chocolate, is stronger than Hershey's right. milk chocolate. You know what I mean? It's more about how you, you know, feel about the experience, how it feels in your mouth, how it tastes, you know. Godiva was actually my first cigar. They, they used to come out, uh, have those chocolate cigars in the mall. They have the Godiva store, and my dad would get them for me as a kid. Wow. Yeah, I had good parents. Uh, <laughs> Greg, this is your first time smoking the Sin Compromiso. Halfway through, what are, what are you thinking? Like to get your perspective. This is going to be a high-rated cigar here, Nick. Uh, I, I can tell from your, from your uh, honestly, from his silence. Yeah, I'm, he's he's really into it, and he's he's a harsher scorer than I am. So let's let's see. What did you give? We did the uh, what you call it earlier. Can I can I ruin the pool? Sure. Yeah. I mean, this cigar got cigar of the year from Cigar Snob. It was number one. I mean, cigar. I think it got a total of like six different number ones in total from a variety of sites. Come on, Greg. <laughs> so you want a rating? No, or no, you no, want no, me, not yet. When, when you get closer down. But you did give the, uh, what did we smoke earlier today? The Moisture uh, Saka, uh, uh, I'm sorry, how do you pronounce it? Nakatamali? Yeah, that's one of my favorites, yeah, the Nakatamali. And you give that a solid? Uh, and solid 9. 9.0. 9. Solid okay. 9.0. Um, it's not on a scale of 100, right? Yeah. No, it's exactly. I <laughs> know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have to say, um, and I'm sorry to all the other Dunbarton products uh, that I have fallen in love with, but I think I might have just found my absolute favorite. Um, I, I'm a big broadleaf guy, so I love the Mikarita. Umbagogs, I smoke them regularly. Right. But this It's a much is, different cigar. It is. Let me, let me tell you something negative about this cigar. Mm. Not a particularly good cigar to smoke uh, outside in the wind. I mean, yeah. it, it'll... It'll burn fine, it'll draw fine from a construction point of view, mm. but you really are best to be in an environment where the smoke can envelope you mm -hmm. to get the full-on experience. Whereas like a Mike Rita or an Umbagog or even a Nakatamale, that isn't as necessary. I think you give up something on a Sincompromiso, smoking it in windy conditions or mm. smoking it while you're driving your car with the right. window cracked, you know what I mean? It's one of those... But it's like everything. Every everything has pluses and has minuses. Exactly. There's no perfect product out there in in anything. There's no like, oh, it's the best whiskey ever, and it's only a dollar. Like there's oh, there's always some variation of. Pluses this is definitely not a cigar to smoke while driving because I'm enjoying it way too much. Um, I but I, I love like your face. That's no, that's it, pure yeah, it's, joy. it's on. It's on right it's there. On. <laughs> it's on right there. It's. Uh, um, so, Steve, why don't we, unless do you have any, any middle questions? I think the only thing that I wanted to ask you is where did you get the name Dunbarton? I actually live in Dunbarton, New Hampshire. Okay. Yeah, so it's very unoriginal. I think I, I like it. You know, it's, you know, it's one of these things that when you come up with names, probably in hindsight, here it is four years later, I probably should have named the company Saka something mm -hmm. because so many people just refer to my cigars as Saka cigars. Um, I never went that route for a couple reasons. The first, even though I love my surname, it's a great, it's a unique name, I don't find it exactly to be one of the more palatable things to say out loud. It doesn't sound like, a, like an established brand to me. Um, and the other reason why I didn't do it is because, you know, in the end, all of my cigars, you know, certain cigar makers have certain genres of what they make. 
And if you happen to like one cigar from Papin Garcia, odds are you're probably going to like a lot of Papin Garcia cigars because they have a general genre within that line. Whereas my cigars, I can see somebody loving Sober Mesa and hating Todos Las Dias. Oh, okay. You know totally. what I mean? Absolutely. I can see someone smoking Muestra and somebody saying Exclusivo is the best Muestra and other people saying Naka Tamale is the best Muestra. So for me, I wanted to make the brands individual and unique and different um, because they really kind of need to stand on their own for mm. what they are and understanding that they each deliver a different smoking experience. So uh, going with Dunbarton just made sense to me. Right. Because, oh, you know, I before I did this, I did weddings. And my first production company, I called it Warger Productions, which was my last name because my creativity for names is terrible. Water Productions, you said? Water, yes. Water it's Water Productions. productions. Um, I think that was taken. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, after a time, I'm selling it and I'm doing, you know, my little corporate video and my weddings. And I'm like... This name's terrible. Like, because you want something that is strong, something that people are going to remember. Like, I think my last name is the easiest thing to say, and still everybody doesn't know how to say it right. Because you think it's going to be Wagner, but it's not. And, it's and not then even it sounds close. like Waters, but it's not. Right. So that's that's where I, I, I like hearing the names of how people think of for their companies. So. And your name for your wedding company now is very good. Yeah, it's Ever After Studio. So, you know. Very it's, romantic. Oh, it's so romantic. It's you know. So talking about um, your lines a little bit, um, what I find cool coming up this year at the trade show, so what we've seen so far from you is you create these distinct lines. You might have a few offshoots, like with the Moisture de Saka, you had the Now Leave right. the Hell Alone Lancero, which, by the way, hilarious and an amazing cigar at the same time. Um, and then you had uh, the Thick Lonsdale, Mas Fuerte. But coming up, at, and excuse me if my terminology is off, but it looks like you have your first major brand extension coming up with the, yeah, the new Yeah, the first two-line extensions. Yeah, the first oh, two-line extension. So we read a little bit about it, and we talked a little bit about it with Dave. I'm going to tell you that just by seeing the, the band on Half Wheel the other day, it looks scary. <laughs> this is, like, I'm, I'm so excited, but it looks like i got to sit down for this one. This is definitely... I did a... I was really good at following directions and really bad at following directions. Mm. Um, there's a retailer that every year has a limited edition release that they make called the Firecracker. Mm -hmm. And every year they task a different manufacturer to make the Firecracker. And what I wasn't aware of was that I was supposed to just take an existing blend and just make it in that size. So I ended up basically taking an existing blend and I had done another variation of it prior to the FDA deadline that was a much bolder, spicier iteration of it. And I ended up using that because the name of the cigar was Firecracker. And for me, I think names should in some way reflect what the product right. is. Absolutely. But if you're going to say something is La Creme, you know, then it needs to be that. Which, by the way, that's a very good cigar. Mm. You know, La, is it La Creme or La Carême? La Carême. I think it's La Carême. I, I think it's right. La Carême. That's a really nice broadleaf cigar oh, from yeah. Crown Heads. Um, so... You want the name. So to me, if the price called Firecracker, I think somebody should get a Firecracker-like experience out of it. The thing that I don't like about the cigar is it's a three and a half by 50 format. So it just ends too soon. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, and so I wanted to make that in a larger size 
so that I could smoke it for a longer duration. So I ended up, uh, I can't call it firecracker. Well, I probably could have, right. but it would have been a douchey thing to do. Right. So I ended up uh, basically, and this is also with the permission of the person who owns yeah. firecracker. Um, I ended up calling it tricky traca. Tricky traca is a slang term used to describe fireworks that they set off in Nicaragua. They're not really firecrackers per se. They're more like quarter sticks of dynamite that they tie the fuses nose to tail. (laughs) And then they lay them the entire length of like two or three blocks. And then you light one end and it just goes kaboom. And then it goes kaboom all the way down the street. And you just hope your kids don't, your kids jump over them daring with fate. But anyways, so that's what Tricky Traka is. Um, So it's a stronger, bolder, spicier iteration of the Mikerita Liga. I honestly can't say that it's better than the... right current classic iteration of Miki Rita, it's just different. different. You know, it's right. a bit more oomph. Some people are going to like it way better. Other people are going to say, wow, the other one's better. You know what I mean? It's going to depend on your individual perception. But So I'm doing Triki Traka in two. And because the cigars have the same wrapper and they look identical, I ended up making the bands on those red so it would be very easy for the consumer to, to identify which right. is a Triki Traka versus which is a classic Connecticut Broadleaf Oscuro. I, I, now I don't know if you feel this way. I feel like sometimes at the trade show there is uh, a general theme, not really connected, but like so I remember a couple years ago, a lot of companies came out with uh, um, Connecticut's that year. There was the Undercrown Shade. Right. There was the Padron Damaso. Uh, my father came no out with Connecticut that year. <laughs> I was going to talk about the ashes now, and I'm so mad it just went away. Oh, all over your all night, over, all over all nice Van Hoosen shirt. $12. <laughs> This year, just from the few that I've seen, it looks like like powerhouses are coming out. Because so far, what I've read, the ones I'm really excited about are the new Mikarita, the new uh, the collaboration between Drew Estate and Crown Heads, the uh, La Coalition, the new Jacob's Ladder, which is called the Brimstone, which sounds terrifying. The original Jacob's Ladder is incredible. Uh, Yep, that was our second episode, and that was the first he smoked it. (laughs) He was getting that was my that was my cigar high. Yeah, I was. That's a lot of nicotine. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. then uh, Placenci is adding a new one to their Alma series, the uh, Alma Fuego, which just means just like I think fire. it means strong fire. fire. Yeah. It means strong fire. Okay. So, uh, do you see kind of trends, you know, every now and then at the trade show? Like oh, everyone's uh, yeah, kind of releasing. I mean, you see them, but you see them after the fact because yeah. ultimately, I mean, oddly enough, you as a cigar geek. And you, on the retail end, actually are more in touch with what's going on than what we are. Right. We're on our own little pile of misery, just (laughs) trying to work things out. Right. So we're really not cognizant of what the other people are actually doing. Right. We kind of learn after the fact. So you end up seeing trends. But, I mean, in the end, I mean, we are talking cigars. I mean, things have not dramatically changed over the last century. Exactly. There's only so many different ways to do brown and round. (laughs) So there's always going to be some sort of overlap. And what will end up happening is if there's certain ones that are like of higher profile, those will be the ones that kind of tend to set the trend. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, remember, Drew State had the year where they launched the Undercrown Shade. Mm. It was the same year Padron launched Damaso. Mm. So everybody's like, oh, well, this is a big shade year. Yeah. Because you had two major players right. launching two major brands that happened to feature shade. Right. You know, so. And I think it was also, and you would know because you're Drew Estate, with the exception of Chateau Real, I think that was the first major shade release for Drew, and it was definitely the first shade no, release for Padron. No, they had done some Padron. things before, but nothing Drew had done before right. was major because they were just a small company. Right. right, But I think they had done some shade versions because before there was La Vieja, the inexpensive version, mm. the, the sandwich-style cigar, they had a full handmade, you know, long filler trip uh, version of La Vieja, and I believe, I could be mistaken mm. about this, but I thought they had a shade version in okay. there. So. By the way, brown and round, I think that'd be a cool one-off cigar. Like, like you know how you just did the you just did the uh, red meat lovers. Yeah, I think a brown and round would be a cool like event only <laughs> cigar that you do. And the band is just like like a paper bag or like construction like you know, that brown like paper. So like a, like something you would do put your dogs put your dogs poop That's in what it. We're known for. <laughs> <laughs> Although I really appreciate you on social media. Whenever I post one of your cigars, it's really cool when the manufacturer comments back on it very few of them do john uber from yeah. crown heads definitely does and you guys do and that's that's a cool thing to see i do wonder though if i'm going to be able to continue doing that because so it is getting, getting to the point busy, now yeah. where there's so many which i'm thankful and that's the reason why i do it because I'm, i am genuinely thankful right when someone t look just just be clear my cigars are better than everybody else's. I make the best cigars in the world. But that's what everybody is going to say. Right. Right? So ultimately, it has far greater value when an individual consumer goes out of their way to take a photograph and post it online. Mm -hmm. They have no vested interest. They have no commercial interest. They're just sharing it because they're really enjoying it. Because if you post something and it sucks, it comes with like a three-paragraph diatribe about how much it sucks. Right. So just someone taking the time to post a photo is essentially them vouching is what they are. So I am really genuinely thankful. So I feel like, hey, the least I can do is acknowledge that. Um, but I will say it's getting to the point now where there yeah. are days where there's like 100 different yeah. photos. And uh, I spend a lot of time just saying thank you. But I... I but I, but I am. I'm genuinely thankful. And I know without any doubt in my mind that part of the reason why the company's been successful is because individual consumers of their own accord are helping to spread the word. And right. again, they have a far greater impact on their friends than I ever could or any oh, yeah, ad I definitely. could ever run. Definitely. You know what I mean? There's nothing I could say that has the weight of somebody right. that's just independent saying it telling their buddy like oh right. you gotta smoke oh, wow this, this restaurant the right. pizza is amazing man you got you know what i mean mm -hmm. i mean you can you can read some you know restaurant reviewer but in the end three of your friends telling you how amazing a place is right makes a much bigger difference yeah, word than of mouth any the, right. the word of the mouth the organic is so much more powerful and i get what you mean even for you know i don't make my own cigars but even uh when somebody gives you positive feedback on a recommendation i remember um John uh, Huber had sent me a box of Tennessee Waltz, which right. is you know broadleaf, and that's my that's my jam. And so I gave some to Greg, and I'm like, you gotta you gotta try these. And he texted me like on a Saturday, like late Saturday. Oh, it was during the draft. It was the night of the draft. Yep. Like a Thursday night, and he texted me. He's like, Tennessee Waltz, wow. <laughs> 
and like it made me feel really good. Right. That, like wh- like he really enjoyed that recommendation. Well, it's just human nature for yeah. cigar smokers. We like to share things that we find enjoyable or pleasurable. It's almost like a, for me, like I, I like I was right in recommending that. I, you like to kind of be validated. Right. Well, it's your just rightness. like like you said about restaurants. You yeah. know, a good pizza joint. You know, when you find and you have that and it's good, and you're gonna tell the next three people. That's why it's even bigger victory for me because every food place I recommend for you, you hate. You hate everything that I recommend right. for you. You hate. You think all the pizza up here sucks. Not that good. You think all the Chinese food up here sucks. That's really. You think all not my sandwich good. place sucks. All my sandwiches place. You think Vitali's with the big sandwiches. You can't. You don't like them. They're okay. Okay. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate it. They're okay. Steve, before we wrap up, there's actually a question from our previous podcast that yeah. I, I wanted to ask you. And not really a question, more of a what's your opinion. Um, so we see Pennsylvania Broadleaf coming out a lot now. You're seeing it on yeah, the Jacob's really, Ladder. Broad, I mean, we call it Broadleaf, but it's yeah. really not Broadleaf. It's really Pennsylvania Seedleaf. Okay. Because yeah. it's not broad. Pennsylvania is a very narrow, long leaf. So it's from the Broadleaf family. It's the same. It's similar seeds. Yeah it's, yeah, it's from the same genre of seeds. Okay. So we're seeing it a lot now. You see it on the Jacob's Ladder has it. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the Bishop's Blend from Black Label has it, as well yeah. as the Leaf by James. I thoroughly enjoy it. But I find it to be much, again, not I'll tell you what I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First off, it's not as inherently sweet. Right. Number one. Number two, it's got a much heavier vein structure in it, so it's a bit uglier. Number three, when you work it on the table, it's highly hydroscopic, which means it tends to hold a lot of moisture. Mm -hmm. So from a production point of view, it requires much more time of wicking. Um, It's a bit rougher grade Mm -hmm. of leaf. It isn't as refined, it isn't as smooth. Um, You get more potency out of it. You will see, I don't wanna say that people that are choosing to use it are choosing to use it because it's more available, but it is more available. Right. Okay, but you are definitely into a rougher, more rustic style of tobacco. And the thing with the Pennsylvania seed leaf is, it's being grown not primarily as a cigar tobacco crop, it's being grown primarily for a bunch of other products. So therefore, with the Pennsylvanian, you can then kind of skim and take what you need. It's kind of like Arapiaca. Arapiaca, even though it's a black tobacco, so it's part of the black tobacco family, which is traditionally an air-cured cigar tobacco, Arapiaca is actually traditionally grown to make very strong cigarettes out of. So you can get Arapiaca wrapper where you don't have to take an entire crop. You can go and just skim and cherry pick, and they're happy to let you take the prettier stuff because they already have a market yeah. for the rest of it. And that's kind of the way it is with the, with the Pennsylvania seed leaf. And the other thing too that's nice about the Pennsylvania seed leaf is it also has the capacity to also serve as a good filler component because mm. it has a tremendous amount of strength. And when we are always butting into shortages on particularly Nicaraguan grown Lajeros, Pennsylvania sea leaf gives you an element that you can use to get you some extra octane. And again, it's readily available. And again, the price on it because of how it's procured is much more reasonable than a lot of the other tobacco. Well, that was going to be my follow-up question. You know, so many guys are using the Connecticut broadleaf and that makes me incredibly happy on the one hand because yeah, that's, but I that's tell what you, I, I don't think I think you're going to see a lot of shortages. That well that's my thing. Because I'm seeing more Pennsylvania, I'm I'm thinking not not necessarily like said, a there replacement, is, there but is, is no, it going to be... Currently right now, I can't speak about the Dominican, I'm not right. there, but in Nicaragua, there's a huge shortage of broadleaf. There's a lot of brands that are right now I see not being made. Leaving. You know, leaving. They're Bye. not being made because they don't have the tobaccos to make them. 
You know, it's it's uh, it's such a shame that like my favorite tobacco with a special it's grown in the uh, the small second smallest state in a part of our country where you would not think tobacco would be growing. Yeah, Although it's been growing. How's that the second smallest state? Connecticut is, is in the second behind Rhode Island. What about Hawaii? What about Rhode Island? Oh, Rhode what Island's about Vermont? What about New Hampshire? Um, Delaware. Delaware. Yeah, you need help. We need to get you one right, of those. So it's top we need to get smallest. you one of those jigsaw maps. Top <laughs> ten smallest. I'll bring it in. My kid has one. Oh, like has you, little, yeah, you knew state sizes. <laughs> I, you brought it up, not me. One of the smallest states. But your general point is, it's yeah. a very small crop. Right. Right. And yeah. I feel and like the other problem that you have with the crop is, um, it's extremely expensive to grow because mm-hmm. it's grown in the United States. Um, it requires a tremendous amount of weight to make cigars. So like the standard Habano seed. So let's just take an average, like a C98 sun-grown wrapper, grown in Jalapa. You're going to end up basically using on average somewhere between 11 and 13 pounds to make a thousand Toros. Mm -hmm. Where on Connecticut Broadleaf, you need somewhere at a very minimum 22 pounds all the way up to about 33 pounds to make the same thousand cigars. So you literally need almost triple the weight to make the same number yeah. of cigars. So you've got two things working against you. You've got the fact that it's a very limited production, or growing, mm-hmm. farming. You've got the issue of the fact that you end up having, because we buy everything by weight, you end up essentially paying three times more because of what you need. And then you also have the problem of the way the broadleaf is fermented. For broadleaf, typically, if you're not gonna if you're not gonna force it with a caldera and heat cycles, you're gonna end up basically being a minimum of about a two year commitment wow. in the polones. So that makes it a much more challenging tobacco to ferment. Mm-hmm. The other thing that you have is you also need to have a certain amount of weight of broadleaf, and it all needs to be of similar texture. So on broadleaf, you need to typically have about somewhere between. Minimum of about 3,700 pounds, particularly somewhere close to like 4,500 pounds to build a polone. So you need about an extra 1,000 pounds, which is only going to make a third less cigars. And then you have the other thing on the other side of the spectrum. Unlike with like a Havana seed wrapper, uh, you can completely ferment out Havana seed wrapper, and then you can bale age it, and you can store it forever. Connecticut Broadleaf, you can't do that with. Connecticut Broadleaf will actually start to get uh, stem mold on it. Oh, really? So once the Broadleaf is fermented and it's ready to go, you're kind of put in the position where you have to utilize it. Okay. Um, you can break it into small resting polones and bulks, and particularly if you have an area that's air-conditioned, you can extend it for a few months. But you can't, it's not like with a Havana seed wrapper where you can essentially finish it out, bale age it, and you can ignore it for two years and go back to it. You can't do that with broadleaf, which right. then means from a production point of view, you have to be pretty much ready to produce when the tobacco's ready to go. And uh, what I think, you know, is interesting is that because the only other, you know, the other big tobacco coming out of Connecticut is Connecticut Shade, but they've kind of found a workaround for that where a lot of companies for the past, couple, you know, 10 years ago, I've been using Ecuadorian Connecticut, which is a fair enough substitute, I feel like. most think it's most, a better substitute. Yeah, and, and most of your general population won't really be able to taste the difference. So you're regular. Because actually, you know, Connecticut, Connecticut grown Connecticut tends to be a bit more accurate and a bit more thin. Hmm. And it doesn't handle combustion as well as the Ecuadorian Connecticut. So the Ecuador Connecticut actually tends to almost always be a better tasting tobacco Mm. than the Connecticut, Connecticut. Um, But part of this has to do with the transition in the way, you know, just U.S. consumers' flavor profiles have shifted over the years. Um, We tend to have gone towards richer 
more right. fuller tobaccos. So the Ecuador Connecticut is a bit fuller, you know, and also it complements a stronger blend better, you know, relative, right. a relatively stronger blend than Connecticut Connecticut. Connecticut Connecticut just, it has a slight, um, it's almost a bitter element to it. Right. You know, I where find you don't find as much too. in the Ecuador Connecticut. Right. We need to have him back like once a month because this was more educational for, for me. And I need to have all the cigars in front of me that he's talking about so I can like Put, put name, name, like, names. Oh, you want like, like a tasting? Dabble, yeah. like, like charcuterie. Sure. A, charcuterie. A, a cigar charcuterie. Yes. Um, all right. It's time for the big Greg's, Greg's, Greg's rating. Greg's rating. 12. No. <laughs> 1,634. 12, 12 out of 11. First, give us, give us like, like a so bullet point. Give me bullet when, points. When I lit this cigar, it was burning a little uneven. And then once it added, it leveled out. Mm-hmm. It's probably because of my fault. Um, well, I'm going to say it's my fault. <laughs> and then uh, what I liked about the ash, it kind of, it wasn't, it kind of had like that fence panel, like it's a the little ridges. bit thicker. Yeah. What is that from? Yeah, the ridges are what you're actually seeing is you're actually seeing the uh, the wrapper and the binder causing those ridges. And normally those ridges, they'll mirror your puffs. So as you're puffing, you're creating a ridge. As you puff, you create a ridge every single time. Have you time. noticed that yet? Just did. Yeah, I was, <laughs> I was wild about that. Um, it's rich. It's still a little spicy, which is, which is nice, a little touch. I'm going to go... I'm going to go 9.5. 9.5. Wow. Because. Biggest number we've had on here yet. On really? Our, yeah. on our between six it's and eight so episodes. It's so relative. I, you know, it's so yeah, hard no, to it, frame it. it. Right. Of course. Um, but I'm so, like, picky. because. Let, let me ask you an honest question. Would you have given a seven with me sitting here? Uh, uh, I would have been completely honest with you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? I think oh, yeah. So if I go back and I watch these videos, I'm going to find some sevens. Not yet, but there no, was an eight. There did, was an eight seven. There was an eight. Yeah, a few, a few right. mid mid to high eights. Like I, I didn't give the Oliva V uh, Lancero really high. I wasn't a huge fan. I, I'm a Oliva V fan, but the Lancero I wasn't too crazy about. I, I gave right. like an eight six or something. Or you or so. just not do videos about cigars you don't like. Well, that's, that's the other that's thing is we we generally pick uh, we generally pick two cigars that we like, and we usually put it up on Instagram stories and have people pick which one we're going to smoke in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but this year with, you know, our podcast being new and going into IPCPR, we have a cool thing where we can actually put up cigars we hadn't, tr- we haven't tried before. And so it'll be an authentic kind of first reaction. Like when we go into meetings, cause this is our, what, sixth, seventh or eighth episode. Yeah. Um, I don't know what secret Chris So is, we haven't really done enough cigars to kind of get to that range yet. But when we go into meetings and I'll just pick a random cigar and he'll always ask me to rate it. And, that, and there's some low eights. Right. Um, so I'm much worse than that. For me, look, I'm much more, I'm much more nuanced and gray with other people's cigars, but with mine, they either are really unbelievable or they really suck. There's not really any middle ground. I mean, even your, but even the Umbagog, which is, I, I hate to use this word, but I'm going to call it your, your budget, mm-hmm. your budget offering. I smoke that cigar all the time. Yeah. It's, it's great. And it has that quality from last week that you should, chewy. Right. Like, a, yeah. like a chewiness to it, which is, which is nice. Like, because when we had the Moisture de Saka uh, a couple episodes before, like, I gave that a nine. That's more like when I have that quick, you know, not quick moment, but that finally moment to smoke, that's mm-hmm. what I'll go with. But if I have that moment where I can really sit back and enjoy, this, is, this is, would be on top of my list, if that makes sense. 
No, probably not. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Why not? If you have some time to smoke a cigar, you would go with the moisture. If you have a good amount of time to smoke right. a cigar, where like it's a really a like, nice drink, I'm not yeah, going anywhere. Nothing going on. Kids are sleeping. Like, he, wife, he would smoke wife. the moisture in a meeting with us, but he would smoke this at home on a Saturday night on his back deck. Nothing, nothing happening. And I, I think that's a good. I'm very proud of you, Greg. Thank you so much. And I like that Steve came on here because I don't like being considered an aficionado. I always say that. There's people in this industry who have forgotten more than I will learn, and then above them, there's more people who have forgotten. It's a continuing evolving. Yeah, I, mean, I feel always that way the more I learn. So, and, what, and what I like about it as well is that you get to learn with me. I know. As we go, it's like the it's like the teacher, and we went on a field trip, and we're both learning at the at the museum. There you go. <laughs> and we're both going to go. learn. Fantastic. <laughs> but unfortunately, it's time to get on the bus, and we got to go home. Call it. The uh, might be uh, is it the short one? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just the two of us, and we're like, cool kids. <laughs> Uh, it's Steve. not yellow. It's going to be that other color. Yeah. That uh, white one yeah. for like uh, tourists? We paint the windows <laughs> and tell everybody where we're going, yeah. what class we're graduating in. Uh, 2040 yeah. at this rate. Yeah. Steve, thank you so, so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, guys, Dunbarton Cigar is available at jrcigars.com. Look forward to a ton of IPCPR footage from us, including we're going to have another sit down with Steve to go into an even, even more detailed look on his new stuff coming out and also maybe get some IPCPR you know, feelings and trends from, from one of the, the best minds in the industry. And don't forget, go on our website all weekend long. Use coupon code LONGASH for 20% off your purchase. Some exclusions may apply, but use a coupon code. It makes us look really good to our boss. Because, uh, you know, the podcast is essentially free. We can make a little yeah, money. We look sure. good. You know, yeah. maybe we buy you some new shirts. Maybe. Buy me some new shirts. <laughs> this is the Target collection. <laughs> Dude. It's wonderful. Three T-shirts and these shoes, $50. I know. You like it. You told me. It's like the budget lunch. You love it. Our, our lunch Steve, is better than that. thanks again for joining us. I really appreciate nice it. Steve. Thanks for having me on. Guys, appreciate Dunbarton Cigars, available at jrcigars.com. Go and buy them right now.